listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. All right, I think this microphone is working, and I think my brain is working, and I know my heart and soul are engaged right now, so let's do this podcast. Let's do it together. We will, we will make a podcast, and uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I am really excited about doing this podcast and sharing this conversation I've got to share with you. I made another introduction in which I started out sort of reflecting on the COVID moment and, and then segued into some other stuff about, about behavioral genetics. And I was all over the place. And by the time it was over, it was like 25 minutes long. And I realized like, okay, I can't use that. Um, it was an introduction gone wrong. I, I did record it, however. And uh, I'm going to tell John, like put it up on the Patreon site uh, as sort of extra content. If you want to hear an introduction gone wrong, if you want to hear what happens when it all gets messed up, listen to this one. Um, speaking of the Patreon site, got some new folks to thank. Travis Litherland. And I hope I said your name right, Travis. And if I didn't, send me a note and tell me how to pronounce it. And I'll do it, I'll do it again. Because I'm glad to have you on the squad. David Bell. I mean, the difference between Travis and David Bell is I don't know Travis yet. And David Bell is one of my oldest friends. So a kid who was in my youth group back when I was a youth pastor back in Minneapolis before I got married. And we've stayed friends all these years and I've just seen him grow into such a wonderful human being. Um, I've been to his school. I've watched him with the kids that he teaches. He's just one of my favorite people. And it's just a thrill. When I see, when I see someone like David get behind the podcast, it just makes me like, it makes me more excited about Travis because I'm thinking like, I know David and he's attracted to, 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 to supporting the thing. And, and Travis, I bet you're just as wonderful a person as David is. And you're listening. You're probably as wonderful as both those guys. And uh, this, this podcast does attract a good person, a good bunch of people. And so I'm always excited. I'm, I mean, the people I'm going to introduce you to in this conversation, they're wonderful. You know, it, it's just a joy. So thanks for being part of it, David and Travis and Josh Zach. And Lisa Bond, I just, I feel like as a podcast, we are, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the human beings that are part of our capital, that are part of our resource bank. Um, so yeah, thanks for being, all of you, all of you, listening, recommending it to other people. I think we're doing something good here. And uh, my biggest indication is the, is the kind of the caliber of person that's, um, involved. All right. So, so a lot of you have asked about my dad. My dad is doing a lot better. He is making progress. It looks like he's going to get to go home in the next few weeks. And that is a huge deal for him and for my mom, who is also doing amazing. She has like that flame that burns inside of her that makes her love life and love other people, which really was under a bushel to quote a song that I sang growing up. Um, that bushel is gone. She, she is back. And it is just so much fun to see my mom hopeful about her, her life and looking forward to the future and grateful that my dad and she are going to get more time together. And they're just enjoying reading the cards and letters that people send them and sort of reflecting on what I would say are lives really well lived and well spent. 
and well-invested. And, you know, it's funny because I, I read the stuff people are saying to him, and it's not stuff about, like, you helped sort out my theology. It's all about, like, you helped me with my marriage. You helped me, you put me through school. You got me, you, you created this program, and that fed our village. And, you know, just wonderful stuff that they did in the world that just is good by any measure. And it's just, it's fun to see older people who are experiencing gratitude, who are, and who are, in a sense, getting to, like, read all the funeral notes while they're still alive. Um, and hear the things that people sometimes don't say until you're gone. And so if there's any lesson for me in this, it's to, it's to write more letters to older people that I know before they get sick or before they die. Um, I just because it's, it's, it's been a joy to watch my parents light up um, as they hear from people from all over the place. All right, enough, enough. Hey, you know, I actually, before my dad was talking as well as he's talking now, uh, I would spend a lot of our phone calls talking myself, which, as you know, is not hard. Um, but I read him a bunch of poems, and there's this one poem that I loved reading to him. And I'm going to read it on the other side of the podcast. Um, I think you'll enjoy it if you if you can hold out that long. Um, so there, that's that's the tease. There's a, there's a cool poem on the other side of the podcast. On this side of the podcast, there is me telling you that Holly Laurent and Greg Hess are comedians and actors and writers. They're out in LA. They're, they're kind of these ultra creative people. And they've created this podcast called Mega, which is a, a satire of a mega church podcast. And you would think like, oh, I bet the Christians hate it. They make fun of them. And the interesting thing is, is that there are a lot of ex-Christians that love it and that feel like it's cathartic and, and helpful to them. There are a lot of people in the church that love it and find it sort of helpful in some weird way and encouraging in some weird way. There are a lot of just comedy geeks that like it. It's, it's, it's a phenomenon right now. And uh, I, I'm not going to tell you about the conversation. You'll hear the conversation. It's a great conversation. John Wright, who produces, had to listen to it to engineer it, to get it ready for, for, for posting. And he called me up and he said, oh my gosh, that's a great conversation. I, I can't wait for people to hear it. And I can't wait for you to hear it any longer. So here it is. This is me, Holly Laurent, and Greg Hess talking about, it starts out talking about comedy shows and it ends up talking about marriage and about authenticity and about truth in a very, very personal way. I, I just think, here it is. I think you're going to like it. I'll see you on the other side. For those that don't know, you play characters on this podcast in which you are on the staff of this fictional megachurch. Yeah, it's called Mega, Mega the podcast. And yeah, mm. we play yeah we play characters at a fictional megachurch. Right. And the church is called Twin Hills Community Church. It's in Broad Ripple, Indiana, in the cool, in the cool neighborhood of Indianapolis. And I play Gray Haas, who's the youth, youth leader of the youth group called Climax. And... Holly is Hallie Labonte, who is the weekend producer, which was actually her, very similar to her old job that she had when she worked at a megachurch. Yeah. Yeah, the megachurch. Yeah. The, the at Willow Creek, at granddaddy Willow Creek. of them all. Yeah, yeah baby. Yeah. <laughs> and so you were, did you wear a headset? 
No, I actually would. I, I put myself in that position on the podcast because that was actually what I would have wanted to be. Could never get there. Yeah. Okay. I was on the creative team. Um, the only the hottest, hottest girls with the biggest of boobs could have the headset and sit next to Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you did sit in the front row, though. You, you, were, always, up there. you were in the bullpen. I was up there. Yeah. But I was like the weird, arty, farty kind of like girl that nobody could sort of figure out who was always like just driving in from the city, just mostly hung over if this was fox it. and friends you were like on the teleprompter somewhere <laughs> yeah. it, you were not on camera talent i wasn't the legs i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry hey. has that has that been hard <laughs> <laughs> holly was laughing we have a joke now she said um wait what's your silver beach we were back she, when she was back in michigan um oh i just recently realized that i'm michigan hot <laughs> I, um, I, I, this year I went home cause in LA, like I, I walked through a restaurant, ain't nobody looking up, but I was back in Michigan and, um, just part of the like gross patriarchal, like, you know, training that girls receive in terms of your value coming from like being a commodity and men <laughs> noticing you and all that bullshit. Um, uh, I was walking through Silver Beach Pizza with my family, my favorite place to eat when I go back home. And um, man, people, dudes were look, checking me out and I was noticing it. And I was like, ah, you know, like intellectually, I was like, this, don't, don't look at me. I'm not. A, and then I was like, hey, I'm Michigan hot. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. The, the whole, yeah. Mi back and forth. Michigan hot has to be um, the name of your memoir. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so I, I went, in my voluminous research, I tried to find interviews or places where you've talked about the podcast and there haven't been that many. No, not many. And we've so, actually been a little bit, we've talked about, we're a little bit protective of it in some ways. And I think we only did this obviously because we love you, Bart. And, um, but I, I think we're also like a little bit reticent sometimes to pull the pull the screen back and, and, mm, yeah. and, sh and show all the show how the podcast works, because I think we, we feel like the best version of it sometimes is when people just come to it and take whatever they need to from it without knowing too much about how the sausage is made. Yeah. But I think we're down to no. talk about it for yeah, sure. For sure. Well, I mean, we can always, and we can always, you know, throw it away and just keep the George Saunders stuff. <laughs> it's just a it George too, Saunders, Saunders fanboy podcast. But you know, the, the, the thing is, is that when you started doing it, I, I thought that it would have just one audience. I thought it would be a podcast for people who had been through the megachurch experience and come out on the other side. Right. Did, did you think that? Was that the original audience in mind? I'd love to hear what you say, Greg. For me, I, I, wanted, um, I, I wanted the audience to be comedy nerds. Right. But it might be too specific. They might be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. Are you getting many comedy nerds? I think we're kind of, I, I, don't, I don't really know what the, the percentage breakdown is, but it, it's for sure. We have sometimes... Um, I, I just watched the Grateful Dead documentary um, that's on Amazon and they had this amazing, uh, it was kind of a chart actually of how the dead fans evolved through the years and there ended up basically being six camps of different types of dead fans, everything from the original hippies to the lacrosse bro, 
you know, 1980s, I went to Georgetown and listened to the dead. And then also people who thought of them as a religious experience. It was this really interesting idea of what people took from the music of the Grateful Dead. And I think to, to steal that, I think we're trying to find the, our different audiences as well. And, um, we've, I can boil them down into the interactions that we have to, Comedy, comedy nerds who just come to it because they think it's funny, uh, ex-evangelical folks, and then weirdly, I guess this new breed of cool evangelical. I think it's 10% comedy nerds, uh, 20% <laughs> um, ex-evangelicals, and... No, 30% evangelicals and 60% Christians. <laughs> I don't know. Christians who are, Christians who are kind of laughing at with the joke or laughing, laughing at themselves. Yeah, I think so. Or, or they're like, we're, isn't it funny? Like, we're not like those Christians. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think that is part of it. And um, I don't, I think 60% is probably a lot, but. Um, oh, really? Yeah. You know, I look at people's Twitter handles a lot. And just to see who, who ends up following us. And a really common one is exvangelical, um, someone who lists their pronouns, which I always love. Oh, wow. He, him, or uh, they, them. Um, typically liberal-leaning theologians, people who are either still in the church or teach. We have, uh, and then we have a lot of academics and a lot of people in left-leaning Christian circles that listen to the podcast. It's really, it's really interesting. And a lot of them say, you know, I just, yes, just yesterday, someone tweeted at us, you know, I'm grew up conservative Christian. I'm now a pastor in a left leaning progressive church in Nashville or something. And then I think I'd be a good guest on the podcast. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, they're, but, but they're still looking backwards in the sense of going like, what's funny about this is I recognize that as the place I came from, but it's not the place I am right now. I think mostly, although we do, we do have people that say like, haha, this is exactly like my church. And I'm always mind blown by that. Um, when yeah. people say this is exactly like my church experience now, and we laugh about this very same stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny because sometimes I'm like, I feel like Hallie is much more like scathing. That, well, no, I wouldn't say. But sometimes, I mean, maybe it's just that I know that that's where I am emotionally more than you. And Hallie's not scathing at all. <laughs> well, if you listen to... What she says the, and not how the, she says yeah, it. Yeah, if you listen to... Yeah, yeah. If you listen to like what she's saying, like I, I, I feel like I'm really going in on stuff. And, and so I'm like, partly I'm like, are you listening to what she's saying? Or is it that it's wrapped in her sticky, sweet voice that makes it feel like I'm not going as hard as I am. But um, then I don't know, like when that article came out in relevant, like we don't get a ton of, sometimes I'll feel like I went in so hard on something and I don't really look at any of the stuff. Greg looks at all the social media stuff. And so I'll, after an episode comes out, I'll be like, Hey, did we get any blowback from that? Because I'll feel like I went in on it hard. <laughs> and um, he'll be like, no, no, just a lot of positive stuff. And I'm like, wow. And, um, the only, I feel like the only real attack I've ever had personally was after we did the relevant or the Christian century magazine 
or we didn't even do it. They it just was, it was a review it. of us. Right. Yeah. They wrote an article about you guys. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like some of the comments on that, like somebody was really pissed and about me, the things I was saying because they were like, you, about white people. What's, what's wrong with being white? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. why are you making fun of white people and stuff? <laughs> Which just kills me. Cause I'm like, who am I, who am I supposed to go after? <laughs> like <Yeah>. I'm white. <laughs> like that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So, because so, one of the things that I find myself thinking about the show is that I, I, well, I had this experience a few nights ago where Marty and I had this, th these old friends, like, you know, 35 year friends of ours over to dinner, you know, sitting six feet away from each other in this weirdness on our outside our house. And um, the talk turned to some politics. Um, and my friend said, yeah, like my family are, are, they're sending me these Facebook things and stuff like that. They are so crazy right wing. Like, you know, they're sure that God is against immigrants and that God hates Black Lives Matters. Isn't that ridiculous? You know, and I'm thinking like, yeah, that is ridiculous. Um, but then they like, they sort of paused and was like, because, you know, we know that Jesus really likes immigration and that the God <laughs> of the universe and the creator of the Lord, you know, that, that he's actually, you know, has a more nuanced position on climate change. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and in a sense, what's weird is, is that this other kind of Christian seems bad shit crazy to them. But the concept of a of a Lord and Savior who rises from the dead and flies into heaven and that everybody lives together in eternal utopia. That's not the weird part. Right. And that, that did, and that, that divine, uh, creature is checking in on black lives matter and climate change. <laughs> right. And has a and position. So, and so, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm sort of thinking to myself, what's weird is like, and what I love about my friends who are still believers is, is that beneath or underneath like, yeah, the foundation of their lives. Like, they love Christianity because it is a good expression for them of their true religion, mm. which is loving relationships and um, and making things better for other people and being grateful for the privilege of life. Like, the, the, on some level, they're – I don't think they – but I don't think they see that from the outside – some of the stuff that they just sort of throw around naturally in their circles would seem just as crazy as their crazy Christian cousin, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who's, who's this kind of right-wing reactionary Christ, type of Christian. And that's the thing I think about the podcast is, in some sense, I, I feel like your Christian audience is sort of, they listen to the, the craziness of the people that you have on your show and they go like, wouldn't it be fun? You know, it wouldn't, isn't that absurd? Mm -hmm. That level of Christian weirdness. But in some sense, it's not that different from the level of Christian weirdness that they feel really comfortable with. That's really interesting. It's true. And I, I don't know the answer to it. And we talk about this maybe more than anything about, <laughs> because, you know, as an audience member, we just don't have that experience of what are people taking from this outside of, you know, just the bits or it being funny and, I think it's it's a really complicated it's a really complicated audience and a really complicated set of beliefs to navigate um, 
I don't I, I guess under any circumstances totally and and I think I, yeah. I have to remind myself that that's not our responsibility because our our job is actually to always just be going for what we think is the funniest and mm -hmm. the most clear-eyed version of a uh, a piece of you know art of a piece of comedic yeah. art and so as long as we keep doing that I think um people will people can take from it whatever they want to take from it it's not our responsibility um it is definitely a quandary that we're always kind of <laughs> yeah. tumbling in our the rock tumblers of our brains of how in the world are people coming to this that are you know deep deep believers and still finding you know meaning in the podcast in the same in the same breath that they are going to church and doing some of the things that we point out as being truly hilarious is it the colbert rapport effect yeah we talked about that a little bit of what is the colbert rapport effect there's an interesting um piece on satire that malcolm gladwell wrote in some book one of in one of his books that he writes one everything <laughs> he did a podcast he did a podcast about satire too okay yeah and Ooh. i think he and he talks about this where with colbert he had a bridging effect between the left and the right because people on the left clearly saw it as a you know a great scathing yes. rebuke of bill o'reilly essentially and the and and the Fox <laughs> and the Fox thought process. But then people on the right also saw in it a critique of the left because Colbert was essentially vocalizing a critique of the left from the point of view of Bill O'Reilly, which <laughs> they also found an unadulterated one. Exactly. One that was where we, he was saying it in the most crazy terms possible but he was like he's saying he's fine there's he's somebody saying actually it. saying it like it is exactly and and that's really funny to me because i think gladwell's gladwell's conclusion was that satire doesn't change anything <laughs> which that was exactly his conclusion and um hmm. i don't know i i feel like i could argue with malcolm gladwell about any number of things he says in his in his books because he tends to me to be really <laughs> glib in his conclusion. But I also think that it doesn't matter. Um, we're, it's not, it's not the responsibility of the satirist to try to change someone's mind. It's our responsibility to make them look at something. And I, and if nothing else, like it made a difference for me, I'm that one starfish that got thrown back in the water, you know, like, or that one person who reached out and said like this actually just through laughing gave me the sort of uh, a little nudge like I'd been wanting to leave my megachurch for so long and I had been feeling really conflicted and being able to laugh about it just made me realize like oh there are other ways to look at it and it's not the end of the world and whatever so um, I, you, what gave you the nudge what gave you the nudge like I'm thinking of a certain like letter we got from someone an email we got from someone oh, that, yeah. that was like okay um you know, being able to laugh about this has helped like bring me some clarity about like conflicted feelings I was already having. Oh, it, and, and we've had, I mean, I feel like we've had dozens of letters from people that say, I'm, I, I didn't know that I needed to laugh about this, this thing that, that caused me a lot of pain and even, even just emotional torment yeah. and relationship loss. And I mean, Bart, you know all about you know all about that and i think being able to laugh about aspects of that thing that you left it, it's it's a great 
it's a great release valve and, and actually, oh gosh, and it, dis yeah. it disarms it, you know, it, it, it makes, it makes the sting not so rough. And I think we've gotten really beautiful letters from people that, you know, say we found this podcast. We left our mega church last year. We both worked there. It was super. We felt gaslit. We felt we, gaslit. We're in we, recovery. Right. <laughs> and now this is just bringing us so much joy. And, you know, that's a nice little, uh, we got an nice email from lining. a woman this week that said, um, she resisted it for so long. Her best friend was like, you have to listen to this podcast. You have to listen to this podcast. You have. And she was like, no, no, no. Cause she was honestly like, honestly, I don't want to even hear about anything related to the Bible, to Jesus, to church, to whatever. Like, I right. don't, I don't not think it's funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm so not hurt. interested. I'm so hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I, or, I, I'm so hating that. Yeah. yeah. And, and her friend's like, no, you got it. You got it. You got it. And she wrote to us and was like, I'm so glad I did because, and, and, and I really related to that. Um, woman because I was super duper resisting doing this podcast. I wanted to do a podcast and I was like always, I was making lists and brainstorms and I'm like, what about this? What about this? This would be a fun idea. Here's a fun conceit. And Greg was like, you should do something about a mega church. And I'm like, nah, I'm, <laughs> I, I already like, I grieve, um, I, how much time I feel like I lost to that world. Like it took me so long to get out. I, I don't even want to think about it, let alone look at it or play with it or whatever. I don't find it funny. And Greg's like, you got to Holly. Like, cause I always say I'm bilingual. I speak English and I speak evangelical. And he's like, you're bilingual. Use that language. Like, you know, that world inside and out and like specificity in comedy is gold. And you have the specificity of that language. You can speak that language oh, and you can teach. Oh, you've got, you've got a lot of specificity in that show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what I can't figure out is like, I get it how you guys have it. These guests who I don't think all like, the, yeah, most of them don't. Who, who are part of the staff or part of the thing, like some of them also have a lot of specificity. Or, or do you find yourself like, no, we bring, we nudge them in that direction? It's, it's a little bit of both. I think the guests that don't have any, you know, we've had many guests on the podcast that have no church background. Um, and the sleight of hand that we get to do is, it's really Gray and Hallie doing all the heavy lifting on the church side. And then we get to just do a good improv show with somebody that we know is funny and that we trust their comedic instincts. And in the spirit of improv, which if people have ever heard the phrase, yes, and I mean, mm -hmm. it's all just simple. Yes. And where we can, we can help lead them to water when it comes to the, the church stuff and all they have to do is accept it and build on it. And so that's the nice, that's the nice secret to any good improv show. It's funny. We notice that people come in as guests, like really nervous sometimes. Yeah. Because they don't, they are like, I don't know anything about the church. And we just say, don't worry about it. What do you know about? Do you know about pottery? Do you know about small planes? Do you know about yeah. water sports? Like we can. That's the great thing about a mega church exactly. is a mega church yeah. encompasses. Like we have a bowling league. Exactly. We have a yep. you know we have a church um, <laughs> cooking class. Yeah. Like whatever you know. Yeah. The church in, has has co-opted it and turned it into a Christian thing. <laughs> we're young guys who are into spreading the word of Jesus on our jet skis during the summer. Totally. Yeah, we're so, totally. Oh. <laughs> and so we, that's what we tell our guests. We're like, what's the thing that you're into lately? And they'll be like, um, murder podcasts. And we'll be like, oh, cool. So you can have a small group that like, f uh, you know, whatever, yeah. like fills uh, fills the gap between murder podcasts and like how that relates to the Bible. And that, <laughs> that's your, you know, it's like, it, it's like a mega church. It's like, it's endless. It's endless. And it's not, and it's not, and it's never far off. Right. Exactly. Like I remember, you know, I remember, you know, when I was in the church, 
you know, you'd open up the Christian magazine and you'd be like, you'd be like, no, really a Christian cruise, Christian diet plan, right. Christian, yeah, yeah, yeah. like whatever, whatever was out there. Yeah. There was a Christian version of it. Well, I remember a long time ago, I was like, Greg, I bet I could sell a Christian diet plan called the Daniel diet, where all you do is you don't quote unquote, eat the King's food. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then cut to and five years later, it was a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. And I'm like, oh, I could have, I, I, I missed my <laughs> yeah. slice of that pie. Yeah. You just have different charts as to what the King's food is. <laughs> right. Twix, not just the King's food. Anything the King's rich. Food. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know though, Bart, on top of what you just said though, I would say that the, the podcast too is, it's not oftentimes a critique of belief as much as it's a critique of culture. And I think mm -hmm. that also is the, is the secret sauce because American evangelicalism is its own version of a capitalist expression, sort of what I would think of as a late stage capitalist expression mm -hmm. of spirituality. And mm -hmm. it's such an easy thing to look at critically because I kind of, I, I kind of am of the belief that capitalism and money has corrupted almost everything that, that we experience in our culture. And so, the, you know, just the, the fact that, that, yeah, you would look through a Christian magazine and see things like a, a Christian diet and a Christian, you know, uh, cruise line and all that, those things. It's just, it's just so antithetical to the teachings of Jesus and the, yeah. <laughs> and the church of the first, you know, in the first century church that then you look at a church with an escalator in it and uh, a coffee bar and you go, well, what happened? How did we get here? And that's so much of what mega is about. I think. I feel like that's what we spend so much of our commentary. We're trying to craft is like just shining a light on that, that exact thing, the culture of it, like the mental gymnastics it takes right. to twist Jesus into make it work. a capitalist. Yeah. 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 And that's actually what I see Hallie and, and gray doing. And that is, they are the gymnasts. Like mm, they're yeah. like they're like somebody's going to show them something. And they're going to be like, oh, but I see how that could work, or you know, like right. You know, we. Um, I was proud of a we, bit that we came up with the other day um, about Gray was Gray was taking his uh, his youth group to. Uh, they have candlelight visual vigils at abortion clinics. Um, but since uh, every every third Friday they go and they 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 sing and pray outside an abortion clinic. But since in Indiana, all the abortion clinics are closing, they they couldn't find one to go to. And so they ended up going to a Dave and Buster's because that if, if there's a woman thinking about an abortion, she's probably going to be at a Dave and Bush, Buster's, a pregnant woman. Because one in every three women at a Dave and Buster's statistically is pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> she's just like, oh man, look at all these kids in a ball pit. I do not want this. Um, the numbers are there. Exactly. But you know, that, that to me was a fun example of taking, you know, something, something pretty real, which is like the idea of, um, you know, I had, I had girlfriends going in high school to protest at abortion clinics, yeah. even though I could have gotten one of them pregnant, which is just crazy. <laughs> and to me, like, that's just like, <laughs> wow, this is, this is the kind of funny double-edged sword of, you know, the, the expression of this, of this culture. When that is the culture. I mean, I heard a great, I heard a great interview with a woman protesting outside an abortion clinic and they got her alone. And, and she was like, yeah, like a couple of years ago, I got pregnant and 
I had an abortion, but I still think it's wrong. So right. I'm here protesting. Oh my <laughs> right? gosh. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> and it. That, that, I mean, that's part of, that, that is part of the culture. I mean, it's almost as if like you started a Christian university and you had rules against um, sleazy dress and alcohol <laughs> and any kind of sexual untowardness. And then you tweeted a picture of yourself with your pants open and your arm around a gorgeous woman <laughs> on your boat um, <laughs> I, while you're drinking. I always yeah. think of that. Remember when you were little and you would swim in people's underground swimming pools and they would tell you that there was a chemical in the pool that if you peed, it would show like a dark color would appear, you know, it would expose your pee or whatever. I always wish that we had that with politicians, like where we, you could see, like you could see. Uh, Just their stats of like, yeah, see of, the lies coming out. Of how many GOP uh, politicians, how many abortions they've all paid for. Right, exactly. I always, <laughs> I, I always thought the it. best question the press could ask to Trump when he was running the first time was, um, you know, we know you've struggled with bankruptcy and, you know, that you've lost several companies. Have you ever not been able to pay for an abortion? And see if he, <laughs> if he just goes like, no, I'm, un I'm unbelievable at paying for abortions. I pay for all the abortions. I can pay, I can pay for thousands of abortions. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's like the uh, pol political equivalent of have you stopped beating your wife? Yeah, That's right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> have you ever not been able to pay for an abortion? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I did hear a recent podcast and you pulled something. I didn't think you ever did this, but you pulled something out of the headline. It was this Christian comedian. Oh, who, yeah. Oh, yeah. John Christ. John Christ. John Christ, who I'd never heard of, but it turns out he's a huge deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Uh, and you, you played on that for a minute. And I thought, is that common? Do you commonly pull stuff in like that? Because I'm thinking like this Jerry Falwell Jr. thing, like it would be it would be gold. But do you do that? Oh, I'm definitely doing Jerry Falwell this week, I think. Yeah, I think we'll talk about Falwell. We, we do it more now because we well, are week of, of <laughs> um, we record the opening segment week of, which has given us a little bit more latitude to comment. Pre-pandemic, oh. we were like batching them way out and we were getting way ahead and it was so great. And now we're just desperately week of like editing the podcast right up until Saturday night when it comes out Sunday morning. Which does give it a Yikes. little more of a salient. Quality, yeah, so we get good. to be more um, topical, I, I, I feel like. Um, also, I feel in some ways like... Um, like you were saying as an extrovert Bart, like I'm, I'm really, I've been struggling with some depression um, in pandemic because, you know, my batteries get fueled by experience and connection and I get drained by isolation and routine. And so now being in this like routine and isolation, I just feel like I'm so powered down and I like my world has become so small and my brain feels foggy and everything. So I think now like drawing on things that are happening out there in the world still, when I feel like my world has just shrunk to this apartment, um, it is helping, you know, keep us fired up and yeah. like energizing it. The John Chris thing though was really specific because for years I had seen Christian friends post, um, things that John Chris had done. And it's always, you know, we talk about this a lot on mega, which is if this was in the world of comedy, would it succeed? <laughs> if this piece of music was in the world of secular music, would it succeed? Mm -hmm. If this book was in the secular world, would it succeed? And I tend to think most times it wouldn't. It's by proxy of the, uh, the it's, it's because John Chris is a avowed Christian that he has an audience that comes to that with 
you know, I, uh, yeah. forgiving it essentially already for not being as funny as other things. And he's competing against three other people. Exactly. Yeah. And he's also, you know, I think a lot of people come to that too, because he doesn't swear and he, it's all what he would call observational uh, comedy minus any good jokes. And, um, the, you can tell I really <laughs> love John Christ, but the, but you know, he was someone who was just, you know, had all these, um, sexual harassment and, 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 and was, you know, essentially exchanging favors for sex and all these things with young women that tickets. were, yeah, tickets, tickets to for sex and, show. you know, go, pursuing 17, 18 year olds at his shows and all this, you know, and it's just to me, so, indicative of that like we were talking about the hypocrisy of um of that of that world sometimes which is you know this guy who is the clean comedian doing working so clean and all these <laughs> families are reposting his funny youtube about cereal is off just like <laughs> swapping sexual favors it, on the side i realize a lot of it honestly for me like what i'm coming in with each episode is like um uh I, I'm listening to my anger. I'm usually like, what is like, like that John Chris thing made me really angry. Yeah. And so I was like, this is what I'm doing. There was a great, um, uh, the daily podcast had a, a great thing a, a week or two ago about female rage. I don't know if you heard that, but it was a really interesting um, essay from a woman who was writing about like how anger is so, um, basically just uh, females are taught to deny their own anger, but that, that anger is like information that's trying to tell us something. And like what, how to use it and 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 I, I feel like so much of it is is like the, the it, it comes down to using your voice and so I'm really grateful for to our podcast to mega for that for it's it's in no small part just um, teaching me how to use my my voice mm -hmm. in terms of what to do what to do with that anger and I've noticed too that like a lot of times when we're talking to a guest at the beginning we talk for like five minutes to be like hey what are you into what what, what do you want your character name to be what do you want to so okay what's your role in the church community going to be okay yeah a lot of times I've noticed that when people suggest when our guests suggest something that kind of makes me nervous where I'm like ooh that's kind of like ooh I don't yeah. know that makes me nervous like that could be really offensive or whatever I've really learned that like oh in the end, that's going to be one of my favorite podcasts. Like those end up being the most, the yeah. most powerful. Go there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like we recently did one with um, a girl named Lisa Linky where she played the new diversity, like with the new, um, with what's been happening with um, BLM right now, currently. Um, she was the new diversity hire at Twin Hills Community Church. And of course she's a middle-aged white woman. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I mean, I was like, whoa, this is making me so nervous. And then as I was editing it, I was like, this is one of my favorites we've ever done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Holly, I'm going to circle all the way back. Cause like, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how to interview people very well. I know how to talk with them. But like, there is this thing I do want to know. And that is, I, I've known you for intensely for about six years. Like since reconnecting. Yeah. Both of you. You know, you more, because you're more open to having a four hour lunch. Greg's <laughs> actually got things to do. Um, but, but I feel like I know I know you and I know you as a couple in, in, in some significant way. And I know that when I first reconnected with you six years ago, the reason you weren't openly secular, the reason you weren't a humanist, if you will, um, had primarily to do with your parents. Absolutely. Yeah. And 
sort of not not being ready or willing or able to deal with the fallout. Even though they knew you weren't in church, even though they, they, they knew you were doing things that, that weren't about their value system, like as long as they didn't know that you didn't actually believe in God, you felt like there was, there was, room, there was wiggle room. Yeah. Wait, you don't believe in God? So what, <laughs> I, what did happen? <laughs> what happened? Man. Did they know this about you before this podcast came out or did they discover it in the context of this podcast? Bart. I don't even know that they've discovered it. I just stopped hiding it. And I don't know. Like we- So you never had the conversation. No, 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 no. I, ju I just became, I just stopped hiding and I became very vocal about what I believe. And I'm, I'm, I'm personally out there, but I never went to them and said, hey, I need you to know that I am a humanist. I'm an atheist. I'm a secular person. Um, uh, yeah, I never like went and said like you need to know this. <laughs> <laughs> and so in in some ways I'm always sort of like waiting like ah, I'm so afraid somebody's going to send, you know, something that I've said or written, you know, to my dad or someone from his church or whatever. It's funny because I feel like they know. Oh yeah, they know. I come on, has has he not listened to this podcast? I don't think they have. I don't know. I, don't I think, think they, know they don't know how to, to I think they don't podcast. know how to do podcasts because we have definitely not hidden it from them. I've talked about it. In I'm fact, I'm always saying let's not talk about it to them and Holly. <laughs> <laughs> this is the nature of our relationship I'm the, new, I'm the one that's hitting the brakes on uh broadcasting the podcast to them, but um which why? Just cuz you don't want to deal with it. Yeah. It's, yeah. my, Greg deals yeah. with enough Greg deals with enough from my when when we go home but um, not to answer for you but I also think the, the one thing to that that might have contributed to the shift is just we live a, a continent away yeah. now it's we see them a few times a year and we had we had lunch the other day with a writer friend of ours and because Holly's working on a book about sort of humorous essays and things about not not completely about growing up evangelical but th definitely but pretty much yeah. <laughs> yeah and um michigan hot yeah, yeah michigan hot <laughs> a memoir but uh you ask our friend miley malloy um who is just a incredible great writer. writer she said what did you say you said i uh, said i'm really i'm writing this book and i'm really troubled because the things that i have to say are going to be hard for you know um family to read family to read yeah and i know that that this has happened to countless writers and that it's you know the wh where does the courage come from how do you manage those conversations blah 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 and i just told her i was like i'm i'm writing this book and i'm simultaneously like deeply troubled because putting a book out there like then it's there for uh, you know and um and, uh, you know, there are stories like there's w one of the stories I've been working on the longest is called Summer Camp and the Very Real Demon about a time when I was traveling with my dad when he was on the road as an itinerant evangelist doing some Christian summer camp. And um, a, 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 like the the girl that I had become friends with that that week um, ended up on like the final night of camp, you know, in the big praise and worship time she collapsed and had guttural noises coming from her body, eyes rolled back, foam in her mouth. And my dad cast a demon out of her. And, um, and it like, 
I think deeply scarred me and um, put a fear inside of me. Like then that I became so like, where did that demon go? Like developed like sleep problems because I was trying to say the name of Jesus all night long because I didn't want a demon to come inside me, blah, blah, blah. And um, I, as I work on that story that, you know, kind of that chapter ends with um, me reflecting on that and how it took me so long to realize like, oh, Tiffany didn't have a demon inside of her. Tiffany probably had epilepsy and <laughs> she didn't need hands laid on her. She needed her neck stabilized and how, I, I guess at the end of the day, like we've all got very real demons. Like as I, as I remain like haunted by so much of that stuff from my childhood. And I think about my dad reading that chapter. And anyway, I went, so, so I, it has held me back from writing for years because the, the deep, strong, Oh God, the, the strong instinct I have to protect them because I love oh, them. I'm, I'm very, I'm very familiar with that strong instinct of yours. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so amazed at your forthrightness, is that a word, with your father. And I, and I've sort of studied it and skirted around it and watched you with it for years. And, um, um, it's funny cause I sat with Miley and I was just like, so I guess I wanted to ask you if you have any advice like about me writing this yeah, and, and how she, say? she just looked at me and she just had this like half smile and she said, they're stronger than you think. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Like that's, and she's like, it's your story. Tell it. They're stronger than you think. And, and, and she, then she told me some stories of like some of her essayist friends and different authors that she knows who wrote things that weren't easy for their family members. And, um, and then the, this was uh, the cool button on that too, was like five days later, a book came in the mail from Ann Patchett and it was uh, signed to Holly. I hear you're working on, on some really great stories. Keep going. Um, and it was her book of. Uh, memoir about it was her memoir about her family and this Miley had reached out to her and she sent that book wow. which was really <laughs> and I stood and looked at that front page that she wrote like I hear you're writing some really great essays and I just sobbed I was like standing in the middle of the room and Greg came over to like see what was the problem which he has to do about five times a day um <laughs> the, the other day I just like looked at Greg in the middle of the day and I was like I'm going to start crying. And I just started sobbing and he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, you know what, to be honest, Greg, and, um, this is funny because like patriarchy, blah, blah, blah. Like Greg's a better orderer than I am. So back in the day when we used to go to restaurants, I'd always be like, would you order for me? Because I always get food envy because I'm a bad orderer. When I look around what other people order, so I'm always like order for me. And then I'm afraid that the, um, the server's going to think he's like beating me and like ordering for me and shit. But, but I, when Bart first asked me the question of what changed of like how I came out or uh -huh. whatever, um, I, my first instinct was to be like, Greg, would you answer this? Cause sometimes I think you have a better perspective cause I'm in the trees. Like, how would you say I finally changed and stopped hiding it? I think just the, you became more comfortable with it. You were so close to it. And then it just takes time, I think, to work through some of that stuff. I think physical distance actually was a huge part. We were like on another, we're, huh. in, we're three time zones away God, and it just feels different now. They're not in the backyard. We, we do not need to include this. We'll edit, we can edit this all out. But I, 
I, I kind of can't believe you can't see it sitting in front of your face, Holly. Um, <laughs> when you're talking about Greg ordering for you, I'm going like, when I got there six years ago, y- your confidence in, in Greg and in your marriage was not anywhere close to what it is now. Yeah, for sure. That's so true. If you said to me, like, what's the, you know, what has given her the ability not to not care because you do care, but, but to sort of go, I can be myself in the world and nothing that happens to me out there is going to, is going to destroy me. Yeah. I go like, oh, that's because like you have this person who you really know in your heart of hearts is for you. Right. Yeah. You said that to me, Bart, like a long time ago, you were like, Greg's your family now. Like you really have to like believe in that. And I, last summer we had our 10th anniversary and I had a big, like, I think psychedelics have helped like with some of my sort of, um, uh, just opening up my mind and releasing a lot of that fear or we're, or or no, not releasing the fear. It had, psychedelics allowed me to look at and unpack a lot of that fear. And it, it somehow also, um, it, um, it, it took some of the like sting out of the fear, like where I I was always like running from it. Don't look at it. Don't uh, avoid it. Avoid it. Like uh, drink a bottle of wine, do anything, but you know, numb it, run from it, whatever. And now I feel like, yeah, some of that confidence has come from when we had our 10 year anniversary, I, I sort of had this breakdown where I was like, Jesus, I've been married to you for 10 years. At what point am I going to believe that you're here with me and stay? Cause I have like huge abandonment issues and stuff because of a lot of things, but, um, of when, the rapture because of the rapture mostly. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm always afraid of like, when I come home, there's just going to be a pile of clothes on the floor. Like Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> was killed. And it's because like my whole family ascended into heaven. Um, Remind me to tell you the worst practical joke I've ever heard of. In oh a few minutes. no. Oh no. I <laughs> yeah. already, Oh God. Okay. But yeah, I think a lot of it was um, just personal work and um, facing fear and coming to a place of like, wait a second, I approve of me. I, I'm all right. And I, and, and that's coming from me and I don't have to maintain the version of me that my parents or anyone like wants me to be or needs me to be or finds acceptable. I, I, I approve of me and like, I've started to trust (laughs) Greg and be like, wow, this is a really great man. This is the thing I always like hoped for. And I have it and I have to stop like living in fear of losing it so that I can enjoy it. And waiting for like the other shoe to drop because I think you you just have a tendency to think that the other shoe is going to drop. And yeah. It, I, I think the shoes are on your feet. <laughs> and, and, but well, it, and, and I mean, it, it, 10 years, you know, at the 10th anniversary, yeah, you had a breakdown and you faced up to some fears and you got comfortable in them. But the other thing was, I remember that Greg sort of showed up in that moment and was just like, yeah, I'm for you. I'm here to support you. Like in, in, with my life. Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, like, I don't think, you know, when, when they talk about people that go through trauma and what it is that creates resiliency, the most common thing that people that survive and thrive on the other side of trauma is that they can, they can pick out one person and say, that person loves me and is for me and is on my side and will be there for me. Like, and... And you say, well, 
everybody has somebody like that in their life. And I'm like, hardly anybody has anybody like that <laughs> yeah. in their life. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes somebody has somebody standing there saying, on paper, I'm that person, but they don't trust it and they don't know it. And then something happens. I mean, I remember being married to Marty for like, I don't even know how long it was. It was probably more than 10 years. And at some point, I had this thing where I really, I knew she wanted me to say something about how much I loved her. And I didn't do it because I knew she wanted me to do it. Mm. And then later on, I said to her, I said, you know, we're married 12, 15 years. Like, I'm still holding back because, like, I don't want to be too vulnerable to you. <laughs> yeah, like, for sure. Because, you know, I don't want to give you my whole heart. Because, like, what if there's somebody else that I end up, you know, what if you leave? And, and, and I said, I don't know what I'm holding back for. This is, this is my relationship. And I remember her looking at me and she, she says, I know exactly what you're talking about. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it anymore. <laughs> like, you know, but, but I wasn't going all in. Yeah. I think it, I think the moral of that story is Marty's always been the wisest among us. Marty's <laughs> <laughs> dope. I love Marty yeah. so much. I, I get that too. And I think, well, we always talk about how, you know, what was that thing? We read something about how your marriage is like a different marriage every 10 years or every five years or something. And it, it is, it is true. I mean, I feel like we've had three or four different marriages so far oh, just totally. by the life that we've led yeah. and the jobs that we've held and the, mm -hmm. in the stages that we've been through. And a lot of those have been relatively not even filled with any trauma or upheaval, just shifts. And I think it's, I think when you got to LA, especially you had just left this dream job at the sort of top of a career arc that was in Chicago when you were at Second City and then coming and sort of like starting over. And there was just, a, there was a ton of fear and uncertainty in our lives and a ton yeah. of fear and uncertainty in our relationship. And yeah. I think that you, you just don't want to take big swings in those times with your family because you, you feel like, well, if everything, f I can always go move back into my parents' garage because they're, you know, they'll, I just don't want to piss them off right now. Right, right. Because I think there, there is a ton of, there's a safety net there that, that actually isn't going to go away even when you when you do speak your truth they're still going to be there they're still going to love us and it's just, it's just uh, i think fear and uncertainty breeds the inability to sort of confront like those larger truths it's funny i, I, I love go ahead Bart. I, I i was just gonna say, i i just love what your friend said to you though about like they're stronger than you think. Yeah. Yeah. It's the perfect um, thing. Cause it's not about, it just, it just, it eliminates the thing. Like, well, what about all this? It, like it was the perfect thing. That wisdom is so, yeah. I can't tell you the number of people that I'm talking to who are terrified to have that conversation. And we work and we talk and we coach and we game plan and we come up with talking points and they finally go have it. And they come back and they go like, yeah, it was fine. She didn't say that much, or he he just he just sort of said, "Yeah, I kind of I kind of figured it was like that." And then, like, we went <laughs> yeah. to Denny's yeah. for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that that people really are right stronger than you think. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I know people that have lost their families over this stuff. Yep. Um, but I don't know anybody who needed their family 
who lost their family. Because the kind of families that you could lose over this stuff, they weren't going to save you anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Last time you and I talked pre-pandemic. Um, in the before times. In the before times. Remember you and me and Greg standing at a dumpster? How, I do. How, standing, standing beside a dumpster. How yeah. symbolic. It's kind of the perfect image for 2020. And, and you were like... Three friends by a dumpster talk about the <laughs> impending, <laughs> impending, doom. impending pandemic. Right. And, and you, it was like three days before it dropped. Yeah. It was. And you were like, this is going to be really bad. And I was like, no, 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 no. Um, but in our last conversation, when we were last together and having our four hour lunches in person, you were like, you have to go have the talk with your parents. And I was like, fuck off. <laughs> but, um, it's going to happen. It's, it's truly that like, there's just a lot of distance right now. And, um, and however it gets initiated, I, I know you're not going to, I know you're not going to get off my freaking back until I do it, but I'll <laughs> let you know when I do. <laughs> well, it's not a one size fits all thing where I think everybody needs to have that conversation. Oh, really? Um, no, huh. no, not everybody does. It's just that your dad in particular is so wrapped up in your psyche. Mm, yeah. 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 You know, he, he, his voice is so present. Yeah. Those stories are so vivid. Um, I, and I don't even think it matters how he responds. Yeah. It's interesting in some way, though, I feel like his voice has shifted in your head recently because now you're so quick to laugh at some of that stuff that before would have driven yeah. you straight up a wall. I agree. And now, and now you honestly laugh about it. And yeah. we've had so many instances of conversations <laughs> happening that even a year or two years ago would have been, okay, we have to, we have to drive back to Chicago now because I can't be here anymore. It's funny. I feel like you our, just chuckle about our marriage is kind of like paralleling mega about like laughing at the thing, you know, yeah. our marriage is doing that. And I think also my relationship to myself and my family, my past and everything is doing that too. Like Bart, we live in the Hollywood Hills and there's that, do you, do you remember that like glowing huge white, um, cross up on the Hill, like over by the Hollywood bowl? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like when we first moved into this neighborhood and we would walk the dog in the evening and stuff, I would see that big, huge glowing white cross and I'd be like, that's like I, uh, if, if a woman had to live under a hill where her rapist's picture was glowing at the top of the hill and she had to walk under it every night and that's my abuse. And it, like, I would be so, and, and, um, and Greg would be like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. It, I'd be it, like, "Wow, do you have a dog bag?" I, the dog just the dog just took a picture. <laughs> um, and now it's so funny. I've just noticed that recently. Like, I look over there and I'm like, "Ah, no!" And I recently looked up the story of why that cross is there, and I was like, "Oh, wow, that's really interesting." Like that. It, it was, was it was for someone that was a um, in a great ironic twist, someone who had been a patron of theater. <laughs> and, <laughs> She had started theaters here in LA, which I think is great. I remember like in the beginning of us being married, I felt like if you, if I felt like you noticed somebody who was like really attractive, I would like, it would be like a threat to me. I'd be like, oh no, what if he, you know, and now it's so funny. Cause like, now it's like our, our most fun joke that we, that, I, I don't know if I've told you this part, but this like super hot Australian girl moved into our building.
something and she lays <laughs> she lays by the pool in like a thong that is like invisible in the back and when she goes face down she takes her top off too so she's laying face down <laughs> and when you look at and it's directly where the 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 windows from our apartment look directly at the pool and it's just the hottest nakedest woman <laughs> you've ever seen and, and i think at the beginning the only of thing it could be hotter is if somebody <laughs> called now offered her a nice tea and she looked up and said in her australian accent <laughs> yeah, like, oh yeah i'm fine <laughs> yeah, totally. and she's like so beautiful and and greg opens the curtains in the morning and looks down and as i was just like oh my god and i laughed so hard and then we started making oh my god videos where like we and oh and then she it's it's just so funny to me and then um she recently moved out and when she was in the parking lot like putting garbage bags in her bag greg was walking by the dog and he's like um where where, where are you going it's saddest day of my life <laughs> and i was like greg's so sad hot buns is gone hot buns is gone and the, and now the the best ever is that this like really sweet Polish couple moved into our building and wouldn't you know the um, young Polish girl went down to the pool and she laid down <laughs> on one of the loungers and she rolls over and it's a total invisible thong and she's got a great ass and Greg's like we're back baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and that's the thing like when you talk about the seven marriages you've had it is so funny to compare that to early on when the thought of another person the thought that you're your spouse was attracted to anyone but you was so terrifying. Right. And now you're like, gosh, if he's not attracted to that, <laughs> right. like I'm attracted like, to that. That's a great ass. Right. <laughs> like they have to be attracted to women in general before they can be attracted to me in particular. <laughs> yeah. um, but then once you know, that but then once we're married, they can't be attracted to women in general. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the biggest that 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 was the big lie that I was sold. I remember walking down the beach with my youth pastor. Um that's one of those, you know, beach retreat things. How many sets of footprints were there? <laughs> this woman comes at us <laughs> and, and, and she was walking in a way that moved everything. And, you know, I was 17 trying to be righteous, trying to be pure, trying to purify my thoughts. And so as she walked by, I just said to him, I said, oh, geez, that's, that's really difficult. <laughs> and, he said, and, he, and he said, what are you talking about? I, I said, well, that woman wearing nothing. And he looked at me and he said, oh, Bart, he said, you know, ever since I've got, gotten married, like, I don't notice other oh women. Oh, my God. Wife. And I didn't have the wherewithal or the knowledge at the time right. to just stop and say, yeah. fuck you, you lying piece of garbage. <laughs> like, I thought there was something, you know, and I expected that when I got married, that all of my energy would focus on my wife and I would, I would no longer struggle with lust. With, uh, towards anyone else. Right. And so like, you know, and, and so that's the weird thing is that you come to a place where like later on, you come to realize that if like, like, of course my wife is, is notices other men. Of course she finds other men attractive. Like, the, like she's a woman, she's an animal. She, <laughs> she's a sexual being. She, you know, and, and the, that, you know, that what makes our marriage is not that she's not attracted to anyone but me, but that she, you know, like sets aside those possibilities, <laughs> right. you know, in order to, in order to like nurture our relationship. Yep. It's, it's startling though, that then you get to the other side of that and then you're like, oh, let's have fun with hot bonds. Yeah. Let's, 
like let's like of course you're attract like let <laughs> you know and and all of a sudden you know I would come Marty would be like hey do you have any stories of other women that you're you know like because like that kind of I want to you know and you're like yeah tell me about that boyfriend in high school that I used to never want to hear about I'd like to hear some <laughs> that's kind of hot yeah exactly you know what's exactly can we please name this episode let's have fun with hot buns <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling you're gonna find a whole new that's, audience that's what I mean like I I'll, I'll believe you when you say right now I have no need to have that conversation with my parents yeah like there may come a time when you do yeah um there definitely was a time when it would have been really helpful um as far as I'm concerned but it's interesting to me because like I don't know if also you know you say you can laugh at it now and I go like hi I wonder if getting together with Greg every week and having a really good improv comedian come in and laughing at it I wonder if that's helped. Oh, yeah. It's so it's therapeutic. And that's the number one thing we hear from, um, I think probably mostly ex-evangelicals, yeah, is that they're like, wow, this is therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, laughing at it takes some of the poison out of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and, and again, like you get to a point where you're like me, where I'm like, I want to love those people. I want to find common, like, like, I, you know, I don't see any value in, in trashing them. Mm -hmm. Laughing is different. Totally. Laughing yeah. is different than hating. Oh, totally. Totally. It, and, and honestly, I think we do it in a loving way. And the same thing with the cross in too. my neighborhood. Like I used to daydream and fantasize about going up and spray painting the whole thing black so that it couldn't like, so the light couldn't come through and glow with the electricity. And I'm like, what? Like that, that now I look like that is a draining of my energy. Even just that fantasy oh, gosh, of like yeah. destroying the cross. And now I, cause now when I look at it, I, I actually am like, I can laugh about how I used to say like, that's like having a picture of your abuser. And, and I, but I not only just laugh at it, like I've even noticed recently that we, we walk our dog across this like trailhead up in the hills and we sit, there's a little bench and we sit and it's right in our view. And I look at it now and I'm like, that's so pretty. And it's so nice that someone <laughs> did that. And that, that meant something to that girl who came yeah. to LA. All those to cathedrals. Be <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're kind of pretty. Yeah. It's lost its sting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, death. Where I, is your sting? Where's yeah, your yeah. victory? <laughs> Church, where is thou staying? <laughs> yeah, and, and the weird thing is, too, is this realization that you you eventually have. I mean, my dad's, he, you know, he's had the stroke, he's in the hospital. And and there was a moment there where I think, it, you know, between COVID and the stroke, it shook him. Yeah. And the question is, like, am I like, oh, wouldn't that be great if finally before he goes, he shakes loose of the faith? Mm. And I go like, No. Mm. Like that's him. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's his world. That's his life. Like that's that's dance with who you know. I remember saying to him, Dad, dance with who brought you. Like like mm -hmm. who do you need to talk to to encourage your faith? Like what about this first? And you're like, why do you want your dad to be reaffirmed in his Christianity? And I go like because it's been a really good thing in his life. And if he gave up Christianity right now, he wouldn't become some joyful, happy humanist like you and me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's that thing too, Bart, with um, an old friend just emailed you and me 
and and kind of was sharing some of oh, his feelings yeah. about how we all used to be believers together and now you and I are vocally not and and he still is and oh yeah and um i feel like that was you and i without ever really talking about it our we were so aligned in our response being like oh, yeah. hey you wrote him the most beautiful letter oh, that was the most thanks. beautiful letter like it thank you man i i feel like the the thing the the thing is like if that brings you peace and if that brings you joy i am 100 makes you kinder to other people yes yeah yeah so and 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 so yeah and, and that actually helps me be less right. you know yeah. and in the weird and, and in that instance and in these other ways i think i think vulnerability is kind of the key to all of this stuff when it comes to having differences of belief or opinion on on anything. And I, I don't know. I mean, there's a whole other thing, but I was doing a lot of voter work this year and talking to a lot of Trump voters. It's so amazing how you can get through to someone if you are vulnerable with your own story and your own experience. It gives were them you, permission, you, you know? Yeah. Were you doing that deep canvassing stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dave Fleischer came on. Yeah. I, I work with Dave. Yeah. yeah. And oh uh, my gosh, you work with him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dave, I, Dave was my improv student and he's the oh. one how he got me involved in, in working with Leadership Lab. Yeah. I had no idea you guys had a connection. Yeah. I, I think the world of him. He's amazing. He's and wonderful. and it's so nice too, because I think Mega in a way is is us being like slyly vulnerable <laughs> um, where, where we get to kind of say in a, in a way, Oh, here's, here's actually what we're mm -hmm. thinking about. And here's what, what we think is funny. And it gives people permission to, to laugh at it too, which is, um, yeah. which is not, which in, which I think in terms of comedy is like the best, the best way to go about it. You don't have to, you don't have to punch down. It's so funny because I was thinking about this quote um, I think it was a great horticulturalist who said it that you will know it you you will you'll know a tree by its fruit. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, which is actually a biologically correct thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and and it works both ways. In yeah. the sense of sometimes you see a Christian and you see the fruit of their relationship with with Christianity and their faith. Mm -hmm. And you think to yourself, you know what? That's good fruit. That that connection, whatever it is, that thing they're doing, mm -hmm. I should just like the world needs more of that fruit. We should just leave that tree alone or, or water it even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but and go ahead and, and and to recognize that that cross on that hill, it represents a thousand things to a thousand people, mm -hmm. and some of those things are good. Yeah, yeah, y you know, and it, it took me a long time to realize that the stuff about Christianity that was toxic for me or that I've seen hurt so many people, um, that some people are blessed, their faith and their lives are blessedly free of that, those toxins. And it's weird um, too, to think that there is a time when I, I just wished it would all go away, <laughs> but it's not going to go away. And I think it's kind of the same way I feel with, with, you know, a Trump voter right now. I, there was uh, two years where I was just like, they have to go away. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to look at that. Um, but they're not going to go away. So the only way to, to actually, you know, try mm -hmm. to connect with, with, with an idea that you essentially oppose is to engage with it. You, you mm -hmm. can't wish it away. And, yeah. and I, I think the same way about 
even what we you know with mega i'm like there are a lot of things that i have real problems with in evangelicalism and in what it's what it stands for and what it's done to our country and i can't just hide from it i have to like look at it and talk about it and engage with people on it and you're so deep in it now too like the fleischer stuff that greg is doing through the lgbt center in hollywood like right now as we speak they are sending people that they trained to pennsylvania and to really important places for the deep canvassing like and and the door-to-door stuff and like just like they did in 2018 and and greg and dave like they and their teams like they flipped orange county which has been a deep stronghold for a really long time and had some really bad people in power Mm. and it works it works like boots on the ground and it's all story it's about story and not you no one has ever changed their mind from you telling them the thing you believe and telling them they're wrong like it's all come through story and vulnerability and, and, and also through recognizing that that person, no matter how difficult their ideas are for you, that, and I, I don't want to say always, but in most cases, there's a story behind that too. Oh, always. And, and, yeah. You know, and, and so I think, I think there are some genuinely mean-spirited people in the world. For sure. The vast majority of people are just in a story. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, and, and you got to listen. You got to listen to the story. It yep. reminds me of in 2016 when Tom Hanks was on SNL. He played a character. He played a Trump supporter on Black Jeopardy. And um, he's so beautifully, like there was this moment where, um, what's the SNL guy's name? Keenan? Keenan Thompson. Where yeah. Keenan, um, who's a black guy, he was he he was the one who's leading the Black Jeopardy game show, and he really liked Tom Hanks' character, the 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 Trumper guy in the in the MAGA hat, and he came over to him and he was like, "Hey man, I like you." High five, and um, Tom Hanks had this really beautiful moment of kind of like <gasps> like backing up, like with this real human, like genuine moment of fear. And it was like such a great, I feel like that's exactly the strike zone we're going for with Mega of like being the person and humanizing the person as a human and not just punching at the platform that they stand on. Mm -hmm. It is to me, I think like that's the strike zone. And you know what? And that's the difference between punching at the belief and punching at the culture. Because it's the culture that that real people get really caught in. They get, they get, they get, they get trapped in a culture mm-hmm. and the culture is what it's the, the beliefs you can, in the, with, you can take the craziest belief in the world. And if you wrap it in a nice culture, <laughs> yeah. It'll, yeah. it'll cause people to thrive and you can take the worst, you can take the best belief in the world. And if you wrap it in a toxic culture, you know, it, 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 it'll cause people to be horrible. And so yeah. I, I think that. You know, and again, like we probably, like, it's so interesting, like what you end up talking about. Um, I don't know how poor John's going to edit this episode. Um, <laughs> Can we get it down to 22 minutes, John? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm not at all surprised after listening to the podcast over the la- number of times over the last year or two, I'm not at all surprised that you're drawing that mixture of audiences. Mm. Um, and I'm not at all. And I'm not at all surprised that for a lot of the people that came through that, it's it's therapeutic. Um, and I think that probably for a lot of people that are stuck in it, it is um, helpful. It is helpful for them to sort of see themselves through the eyes of other people, and and it maybe maybe may make them not not less not less Christian, but it may make them more sensitive and more thoughtful and 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 more gracious. Um, but 
you know, ultimately, you know, a comedy podcast by its fruit in the sense of like, does it make people laugh? <laughs> that's right? the I mean, number like, one goal. That's a great way. Isn't that the thing? Yeah. 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 Like that's the job. Yeah. That's the job. I think comedy is this very humanizing thing. And I'm not very good. I'm like, it's funny. I would be a terrible guest on your show. Like I'm not <laughs> funny that way. And, and, and I know I'm not funny and I'm not even good at talking about humor particularly. Like it, you know, I like, there are people that know how to talk about it, but what it, but, but boy, I value it. Mm. I, I really love that, that you have found this vehicle that lets you use your bilinguality <laughs> and lets you use the pain, but also that lets you use your ability to still love people who are in a way of thinking that just didn't work for you at all. Yeah. 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 And, and, and you know, Lord knows. Lord knows that that way of thinking did not work for you <laughs> in a in a violent and terrible way, and uh, and and so I'm so glad you're out of it, but I'm so glad you're not running from it anymore. Ah, uh, me too. Me too. Me too. Thanks, yeah. Bart. I love each of you, and I love both of you together. You 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 are you are a couple that I am very happy about. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes uh, when I think of LA, there are a lot of things about LA that I don't love or that are hard memories for me. And then there are a lot of things that are beautiful. But when I think of the two of you, um, you know, in that little apartment, um, you know, with, with, you know, hot buns two outside the window. Hot buns two um, and a couple of mics. We're, yeah. we're doing when, it. No, but when I think of you there doing what you do and being with the people the way you you are with people, it's it's a it's a great joy to me. And I'm 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 really glad. I, I don't know if anybody will get what we were talking about on this podcast, but <laughs> I'm just glad for them to meet you and to sh and to share you with them. I love you, Bart. Thanks, Bart. All right, that was me and Holly and Greg. And if you made it this far, you'll know why I told you the best stuff was at the end. I just, I just loved that conversation. And, uh, and I love you for hanging in there and listening to it. And as a reward, I'm going to read you the poem I read to my dad a few weeks ago. Um, and I, I'm not going to comment on it. I'm just going to read it. I think you'll, I think it speaks for itself as a good poem should. O Me, O Life, by Walt Whitman. O me, O life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself, for who more foolish than I, and who more faithless, of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the struggle ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plodding and sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined. The question, O oh me, so sad, recurring, what good amid these, O oh me, O oh, life, answer that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute 
averse. Ah, that's a poem for our time. Yeah, that's kind of a poem for all time. I, I hope you love it. Um, I hope you love the conversation. I love you for, for being a part of it. Um, and I, I look forward to, to reconnecting again. You, you know how to find me. If you want to respond to anything, you, you, you know, it's all on the show notes. Uh, Barcampolo.org. Just, just fire away. Glad to hear from you. And whether I do or whether I don't, I'll catch you next time on Humanize Me. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at humanize me pod on Twitter and humanize me podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search humanize me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living now. You could